Happy Independence Day uh, for our U.S. friends and, uh, and uh, amen, people that are, that are from the United States. You know, it's uh, great to be able to celebrate with them as well on this day for their sake. I want to take a moment just to thank our first responders. We've had an exceptionally busy week in our, in our, uh, uh, in our city with uh, regards to the, the terrible fire that we had. I want to thank the first responders and their incredible hard work all night long in the sweltering heat. They were up uh, fighting the fire. There was tons of different first responders. There was crisis counselors on the scene, called on scene because of what was happening with, uh, we had uh, over 30 apartment buildings evacuated because of the fire and many counselors had to be called in. Obviously counselors for different people that were also struggling with the strain and the stress of the emotion of the loss. And so thank you to all those people that were part of that. I want to just highlight and thank our higher grounds uh, staff and volunteers. Um, Pastor Rick is on holidays this, this week and uh, for a few weeks and and uh, Corinne and the team just really took over, and they all stayed late. Everybody that di didn't uh, uh, break off their shifts because they were feeding all of the first responders. They were feeding all of the people that were present there. And I want you to know that uh, the high Higher Grounds team, they paid for all of that. None of the first responders had to pay for that. So we just want to commend them and thank them for their service in doing that. Amen. So today is not only uh, Canada Day in terms of uh, our Canada Day service, we've already had Canada Day, but we tend to have a service every year to celebrate Canada Day. And uh, you know, it's also the end of our 40 days of fasting and prayer. And so I wanted to kind of culminate these things. You know, it's been a challenging time, but it's also been a great rewarding time to see God do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think or imagine according to his great power. You know, it's been a, I've been a bit paralyzed as I've been thinking about this service. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been a bit paralyzed as I've been uh, observing what's happening in Canada. And really, Lord, I'm praying particularly and saying, God, what do you want to say? What is your response to what is happening in our land? You know, we've seen some great things that have happened during our 40 days, but we've also seen some extremely difficult things. One of them, of course, the biggest thing is the exposure of the residential school heartbreaking horror. We've always known that's there, but we've not known the extent. We've not known uh, really what went on and really the extent of that in Canada. And I, I fully believe that part of our, the, if you look back on the timeline, it's interesting because the start of our 40-day fast is when all this information started to come out. I believe God wanted to bring this out to the surface. You know, People were commenting to me and saying, you know, Canada Day celebrations have been toned down or canceled this year, obviously. And, um, you know, it's not a bad thing. Any one of us know that this is true if you were about to have a party in your backyard and your neighbor had the death of a loved one, a child, you wouldn't hold that party. You would do something. You would move that party. You'd say, whoa, 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 we can't really be celebrating in this moment because of the tragedy that's happened in others' lives around us. So do we understand that? We all know that, uh, you know, things that are being uncovered now are just beginning to be uncovered. So how do we respond? How do we respond as a nation, as a community, as neighbors, as friends, and as a community of faith? We have seen responses of people. And, uh, you know, Facebook courage, I call it, 
uh, Facebook courage is when, you know, I have no accountability, but I can just vomit on Facebook and, and let you deal with my vomit. Um, anyway, that's just a little personal thing. But anyway, uh, we've seen different reactions, and, and understandably, church, we've seen people reacting in anger. We've seen people act, reacting in very destructive ways with the um, destructions that has happened in several churches across Canada. You know, it's creating more finger pointing, more anger. We know the loss of our beautiful historic uh, Catholic church here in Mournville, whether by accident or by uh, a deliberate act that's still being investigated. However, we are seeing reactions and assumptions and anger and finger pointing. And so we're saying, you know, this is a problem with the terrible government decisions that were done years ago, years ago our evil religious behavior of a few people. But what is really going to help. Let me just read a quote to you. It's not my quote. It's Chief Delorum of the Cowas First Nations. We all inherited this. Nobody today created residential schools. Nobody today created the Indian Act. Nobody today created the 60s scoop. But we all inherited it. And we just have to acknowledge that people are healing and people are hurting. Let's do something about it. So that's where we are today. You know, I have to be careful even how I speak. And I'm going to tell you, I, I don't do this lightly because I, I've been considering and, and praying and saying, Lord, how do I communicate? You know, we understand and we think we comprehend, but certainly we don't. Uh, we can't even begin to understand what it would be like to have your children forcibly taken from your home, your community, your faith, your your traditions, your culture. We know that that is a shocking, broken, horrific part of our heritage that we have to now deal with. But we also can't comprehend the violent acts of people uh, for something that happened many, many years ago, for people that are not responsible but are being held responsible by violent acts right now. I want you to know that none of these things are the heart of God. They just aren't. As a matter of fact, I believe it's the heart of God to bring exposure to these things. I think it's God's heart and God's will that this is all coming to the surface. Why do I know that? Well, Isaiah 26, 21 is an example, and there's many others I could quote. Listen to what God says. Listen carefully. The Lord Almighty is about to come from his heavenly place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their wickedness or their sins, their injustices, their wrongdoings. The earth will reveal the innocent blood shed upon her and will no longer cover her slain. Jesus spoke in Matthew 18.10. He said, see to it that you do not despise any one of these little ones. I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of their father who is in heaven. All over the scriptures, Jesus warns about woe unto you if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better that you're thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck, then you would do something like that. So God is bringing this exposure, church. God is bringing this to the surface. God is bringing this out in our land. And I want you to understand, you know, as I watch Facebook and you watch Facebook, maybe you do, maybe you don't, um, I've just been noticing <laughs> everybody's pointing fingers right now. Incredible finger pointing. And uh, I want to just tell you, I, I posted this this morning. I'm probably going to be unfriended by many people, um, maybe some of you in this room. I'm not sure. But I'm going to tell you a little bit of what, what I posted. Here's what I said. 
we don't have a government problem or a religious problem or an education problem or a media problem or a race problem. We don't have a First Nations problem, an indigenous problem, a Métis problem, or a woke problem. We don't have a defund the police problem, a Black Lives Matter problem, or a white privilege problem, or a council culture problem, or you fill in whatever blank you want problem. We have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. See, sin is when you and I move from a God-centeredness to a self-centeredness. And that self-centeredness is the result of many of the things that we are seeing happen in our world today. Now, don't hang up on me yet because uh, don't, don't log off. Don't go offline. Stay in here. If you get up to go pee, I'm going to probably point you out and say, whoa, whoa, it gets better, it gets better. Just hold it until after the service is done. You'll be okay. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 2 this morning and uh, really start to understand what God has to say to our nation and to our world today. So let's pray first. Father God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your na nature. Thank you that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you, God, that you have something to say to our world. I pray, Father God, that we will be awakened right now, Lord, and that you will not help us to, or help us not to point fingers right now, but to actually look into a mirror right now and to see what you would have us to see and to respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 1, if you are a book reader in the book of Psalms, one of the great poetic books of the Bible, Psalm 1 really talks about those who delight in the law of the Lord and order their life with God. Uh, the result is that they're like trees planted by the sea of living water, you know, this great fruit coming out of their life. And then it goes on and says, you know, if you don't do that, there's going to be some issues that you're going to face in your life. And Psalm 1 kind of ends with that conclusion. Psalm 2 takes it up a level. It's like, it's like uh, you know, it's kind of like on steroids, Psalm 1. It's like, okay, now for you people who are deliberately walking away from God, who are not only turning your back on God, but are willfully saying, I refuse to listen to God or pull God into my life. That's Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 has four acts, which we're going to look at in a moment. But I'm going to tell you something about Psalm 2 that's very, very important for you to understand. Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. Eight times this psalm is quoted in the New Testament. Now, when that happens, you have to pay attention to think something. God wants to say something through Psalm 2. So what does it look like, a world that not only just defies God, but utterly rails and strains against the rulership of God? This is Psalm 2 and how it starts, and then God responds. Act 1 of the four acts is the nations speaking. Listen to what they say. How dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summits. And the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and against his anointed king, saying, let's come together and break away from the creator since once and for all, and let us cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. So the world is saying that the nation's rulers are rising up and saying, how do we get out of this constraining relationship with God? Let's defy the rulership of God in our lives 
And this is how the psalm starts. And it is an opening question that's not asking a question that needs to be answered. It's more a declaration of astonishment and wonder. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? See, God is speaking and he's saying, you guys, this is incredible that you're railing against me who has provided for your basic needs, who's guided you and who's kept you alive, who has blessed you with life, who has blessed you with taste buds, who has blessed you with vision, who has blessed you with color, who has blessed you with family, who has blessed you with joy, who has blessed you with peace, who has blessed you with righteousness, who has blessed you with his presence even when you go through difficulties because you're going to go through difficulties in this life. And yet you're railing against me. Conspiracies to break the Lord's bondage as they see it. The world is failing to see that the bonds that they're trying to break free from are actually the loving arms of God who's trying to restrain them from their own destruction. This is why God speaks. (laughs) You know, it's interesting to me. In in the last couple years, we've seen this huge movement of defunding uh, police. Let's defund police services. It's interesting that in the states, there are several states that have actually greatly defunded to you know, varying degrees the amount of money that they're funding their police. And lo and behold, something amazing happened. Crime skyrocketed. Who knew? Did you know? I, I knew. <laughs> you understand? We don't want authority. We want, we want to be free from authority. But listen to me, church. Listen to me carefully. We know this. Freedom without authority is anarchy. And anarchy destroys. That's all it does. So we don't, you know, we're scheming against God. We're plotting against God. We don't want to be under God's rulership. God, we don't need no stinking God. We're going to live our own life and do our own thing. But you know what Beautiful, beautiful thing of the Word of God is? It actually warns us as to what happens when people start to take this position. This is found in Romans chapter 1. Now, now hang in there. This is going to get a little bit, maybe hope coming. But first, we need to get awakened. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we're going to start at verse 21 actually, says this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. These are the five downward steps that happen to mankind are in this text when they refuse God and don't give God his rightful place. Number one is they refuse to worship God, which is to refuse to bring the center of their life to be centered on God. They want it to be self-centered rather than God-centered. That's number one. Number two is this. They failed to acknowledge his providential care. They looked at the world around them and they said, look what we've done when they didn't do anything. God is the one who provided it. They were unthankful, ungrateful. Their thinking became foolish, it said, the, the third thing. Fourth thing, their hearts became darkened. And number five, they professed wisdom but were branded as fools. Now, what is a fool according to the word of God? A fool is very clearly defined. Just so we don't point fingers at others and say, well, you're a fool, you're a fool, you're a fool. The Bible says a fool is one who says in their their hearts, there is no God. 
That's the definition of foolishness, according to the Word of God. See, even on our Canada Day celebrations, the Peace Tower, which is the iconic symbol of our nation's parliament, on one of the windows, and you've heard me say this so many times, but I, I just think it's so critically important, it says this in Proverbs 29, 18, is literally carved into our parliament building, says this, where there is no vision, which means revelation of God, the people perish. Where there's no vision of God, where God is removed, where God is not thought of, where God is not brought to the center anymore, what happens is the people begin to cast off restraint and then it begins to destroy their lives. Are we seeing that in our culture today? Well, in case we're not sure, Romans 1 goes on and says these words. You can read this all later for yourself. And it says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and boards and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires and the lusts of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So the trinity of sin is kind of listed in this scripture. The first part of it is called idolatry. And idolatry is when I worship an image of other than God and I worship something in my life. And in our world today, we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. We love all this stuff and there's nothing wrong with this stuff. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings of life. But when we don't acknowledge that these things come from God, we enter into a thing called idolatry which actually creates a lot of problems, as we know. Consumerism, the pleasure culture, leisure culture. Again, none of those things are wrong, but when they take the first priority in your life, they become wrong. The second part of this text talked about sexual perversion. Now, this guy's name's Carl Zimmerman. He wrote a book called uh, Family and Civilization. He wrote it in 1947. And he's a sociologist. He's a sociologist and a historian. This is what this guy is. Uh, not a, you know, that's not about him being a believer or not a believer. I don't even know if he's a believer. It doesn't matter. All he did was study civilizations that were on in, the, in their decline, and he went back over history, and he started to look at what was the effect and happenings that was going on in families at the time just before the collapse of these nations. This is what he wrote. There's eight observations he made. Here it is. Number one, marriages, marriage loses its sacredness and the traditional meaning of marriage ceremony is lost. Number two, feminist movements abound. Number three, there's an increase in public disrespect for parents and authority in general. Number four, an acceleration of juvenile delinquency. Number five, promiscuity and rebellion occurs. Number six, there is a refusal of people with traditional marriages to accept family responsibilities. Number seven, a growing desire for and acceptance of adultery is evident. And number eight, there's an increased interest and in the spread of sexual perversion and sexual related crimes. That was written in 1947. Where's our society heading right now? The third part of this 
text that we read was the exchanging, exchanging of God's truth for lies. What that just means is this. We don't want truth. We are truth. And I don't want external truth telling me what truth is. Therefore, lawlessness abounds. You know the word autonomy. We've said this before. The word autonomy is autonomos, which means self-law. I don't want an external law. I want to be my own ruler. Anybody following me? So this is what's happening. Lawlessness is happening. We're exchanging God's truth for lies. That's why Judges chapter 21, 25 says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. What happens when every person does what they want to do, regardless of what anybody else says? What happens in your family? Let me put it that way. Your child decides your rules are not acceptable any longer to them. How does that go for you? How does that go for them? And how does that go in your family? You don't have to answer. I'll just leave that out there for you to think about. Okay, we're following, the, the, following me. The, the first part of this psalm, which is the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament... And the psalm we're looking at today in Canada today, because it's a psalm about the nations. The nations are living and calling out for lawlessness to abound. And they really don't know what they're calling out for because God speaks next. Acts, Act chapter 2 of Psalm 2 verse 4. God enthroned merely laughs at them. The sovereign one mocks their madness. Then with fierceness of his fiery anger, he settles the issues and terrifies them to death with these words. I myself have poured out my king on Zion, my holy mountain. See, God the Father speaks and he's astounded. He's astounded by their unthankfulness. He's astounded by their pushing away from him. He's astounded. And he's like, you guys, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know the reaction that's going to happen to you. It's kind of like the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son is like, father, I mean, this guy, this is a terrible story. He's looking at his father and he says, I can't wait for you to die to get my inheritance. So would you just give me my inheritance now? Kind of an ungrateful kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, dang, dude, not good. But he does, he gets the party time and boom, 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 goes off and parties it doesn't go well for him. You can read the story later. It's, he comes back a little bit humbled. You follow what I'm saying? God is speaking, and he's saying, what are you guys doing? It's crazy. And then God gets angry, and he pours out his wrath. And you're like, yeah, there it is. Come on. Yeah, he pours out his wrath. See, Pastor Greg, you're getting upset with us because we're, we're pointing our finger. We're having wrath. We're, we're looking at the world today, and we're saying, it's that fault. It's government's fault. It's religion's fault. It's this person's fault. And you're telling us not to have wrath. But hang on before you get all excited about God's wrath. Because God does not pour out his wrath upon the people who are rejecting him. He pours out his wrath on his son. This is what terrifies the world. I myself have poured out my king on the holy mountain. See, God pours out his wrath upon his own son. He doesn't pour out his wrath upon us who deserve his wrath. 
but he pours out his wrath upon his son for our sake. Even though it's our sin and our rebellion, God the Father says, you guys are going to push against me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pour on my wrath, and the world's like, yeah, bring it on. And they don't know what he, he turns, and he looks at his son, and he says, you are going to take the punishment for sin. Crazy. Pours it out upon not mankind, but one man for mankind's sake. That's why John 3.16, if you're a sporting guy, you get see this tattooed on everything. It's, everybody puts this verse up. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He pours out the life of his son for the sake of the world. I love Colossians 1.20. It's not going to come on your screen, but this is what it says. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood poured down from a cross. You know, our cross is a picture, in the, and you can't see this online, but you can imagine with me. There's kind of this colored cross in our, in our sanctuary, and it's got little jarred-like pieces that come together to form the cross, and it's a picture, and it's kind of a picture of your life and my life. You see, we're those pieces. <laughs> we're the broken pieces that God gathered together. This is crazy. He gathered the, the broken parts of your life, my life, and he pulled us together by the power of his cross, all the dislocated pieces of the universe, all the things that are gone wrong. And he says, I have a plan for your sin. I have a plan for your brokenness. You can point your finger at my son because he's taking your place. Hallelujah. You see, what did, the, what did the son think of this idea? Doesn't sound very good to me. If you're the son, the father's all excited because he's going to pour out his wrath on the son. Guess who speaks next in the psalm? The son. And look what he says. Acts 3, the son speaks. I will reveal the eternal purposes of God for he has decreed over me, you are my favored son. And as your father, I have crowned you as my king eternal. Today I am your father. Ask of me and you will have the nations and I will do it. And they shall become your legacy. Your domain will stretch from the ends of the earth. And you will shepherd them with unlimited authority. Crushing their rebellion as an iron rod smashes jars of clay. The son is speaking, church. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to preach on this verse, just this one verse, the very first sermon of Jesus, Mark 1, 15. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in a hope-filled gospel. The Son is speaking. The Son comes. The Bible says the Son came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was sent by the Father. Church, do you understand that you don't even have breath? You do not even have a life. The Bible says that the Son of God was slain from the foundations of the world. Even for the world to be created, Jesus had to say, I will die for them. I will pay the price for them. And the Son is like, reflecting the heart of his father 
Father, I will go. God is saying, who's going to stand in the gap? Who's going to stop this crazy world from driving itself off a cliff? Who's going to help them? And the son says, I'll go, Father. I'll pay the price. I'll stand in the gap. I'll reveal your father heart that you're not there to judge them, to kill them, to condemn them, but to set them free. I will lay down my life for them and let them know that nothing but mercy is waiting for them. This is the message that our world needs to hear today. The father has pointed his finger at the son. And the son said, bring it on. I'll pay the price. Guess what? We're almost done. The world spoke, then the Father spoke, the first part of the Trinity. The Son, the second part of the Trinity, speaks. And then the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, speaks in the next part of the psalm. And listen to what he says. He speaks first to the minds of mankind. Listen to me, all you rebellious kings, all you upstart judges of the earth. Learn your lesson while there's still time. You know, so many of us, church, now, now this is where I get in trouble. So many of us today have taken a seat of judgment and we judge everything except our own lives. Everyone and everything else is to blame for our society today, but no one wants to take personal responsibility. Come on now. Really, how many Facebook posts are like, man, I'm, I'm just so broken over this and really I, I'm, I'm looking at my own heart and my reactions and how angry I am and I know how wrong I really am and I need God's help. Anybody read that Facebook post? <laughs> no. It's like, 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 like. I feel affirmed. No one's going to like my stuff that I posted today. I mean, it was, well, somebody did. That's okay. There will be lots that don't. And here's the thing, you know, he's speaking to our minds and he's telling us, you need a new way of thinking, you guys. Do you know what the word repent means? Metanoia. It means change your thinking. You're thinking wrong. We think repentance means I'll try harder. No, no, no. It means you have stinking thinking and you have to stop. Because your stinking thinking is telling you that you're God and you know what right from wrong and you have the right to judge everybody else. That's stinking thinking. Come on, brother. I'm getting affirmed. I got a like. Thank you. For <laughs> I feel happy. It's a like. It's a smiley face. The front row. So good. So Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter, or sorry, Romans chapter 1, God lays out this like deluge. I didn't even read it all, guys. It's a terrifying scripture. This is what happens to a world when they turn away from God. It's like this trinity of sin. It is like destruction. And all of us are going, oh, that's right. You preach it. Preach it, pastor. Romans chapter 1, that's the problem in the world today. Oh, if only God had not written Romans chapter 2. Because in it, he slaps a mirror in front of us and he says, by the way, all you who are judging are guilty of the same things. 
No, you. That mirror is really close right now, God. Are you guys following what I'm saying? And then he says, whoa, 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 don't be judging, don't be pointing fingers, be careful, be careful, be careful, because you're guilty of the same things, and I have forgiven you of all that darkness, all that brokenness, all that wickedness, I have forgiven you. And by the way, Romans chapter 2 goes on and says this, don't you realize that it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance? It's not judgments. You can bring light to things, but point them to the hope of the cross. <laughs> Amen? See, our number one job, church, listen to me, is not judgment, but intercession. <laughs> not only prayer, but standing and representing God with reasonable thinking. Yes, this is terrible that a church was burnt down. Yes, this is terrible what happened to these beautiful babies. Yes, it is terrible. But there's hope in God. Turn yourself to God. Turn yourself to God. And the Spirit continues to speak and He speaks to the will of mankind. He says, serve and worship the Lord the awe-inspiring God, recognize his greatness and bow before him, trembling with reverence in his presence. So the Spirit is telling us now, how do I respond? The world is saying, God, yeah. And then the Father says, no, 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 don't go there. I've poured out my wrath on my Son. The Son says, come to the Father. Come, you who are broken. Come, all of you. And the Spirit's like, come on, come on, come on, you guys. Stop thinking you can do this yourself. Stop thinking you don't need God. Turn to God, turn to God, turn to God. And he speaks to the will of mankind. He says, serve and worship the awe-inspiring God. Bow before him, tremble in his presence. Serve God, stop serving self. Stop serving sin. Serve God. Submit your will to him. And then he speaks to the heart of mankind. Fall face down before him and kiss the Son. Before his anger is roused against you, remember that his wrath can be quickly kindled. You know that word, kiss the sun, means shriek joyously with trembling. And he's warning the world, and he's, first he starts church, first he starts of the text, I know you noticed it, he speaks to leaders. <laughs> and he says, you upstart judges, you rulers of the nations, kiss the sun lest he become angry. Church, what does that mean? Church, either you're accepting God's work on your behalf or you have to stand before God in your own method, in your own way. Are you following what I'm saying? You either accept what Christ has done for you or you will stand before God on your own. That's the deal. And so he's calling out to the nations, the heart of mankind, kiss the sun. He speaks to our prime minister Stop driving this nation into destruction. Turn to God in this hour. He speaks to our premier. He speaks to business owners. He speaks to leaders. Do not destroy this land which I love. Turn to me in this hour and cry out to me.
And he says it to us believers. Kiss the sun. <laughs> because there's a way that we can deal with our sins, church. And this is what the psalm ends with. This very last two verses of the psalm says this. But many blessings are waiting for all who turn aside and hide themselves in him. That's your choice. <laughs> Will you turn aside from self-centeredness? Will you turn aside from finger pointing at everything else that's wrong in the world? And will you hide yourself in Christ? And how you hide yourself in Christ is by acknowledging your need of him. If there's anything that we have done wrong, I'm sure I can get a laundry list of things we've done wrong. I feel the greatest thing we've done wrong during this pandemic has been to not turn toward God. It's to try to solve this on our own. Just putting it out there. Because there's a place where you can hide. There's a place where you can find refuge. And his name is Jesus. Amen? It says, prostrate yourself before the king. Submission is the position that we are to take as his followers. Because we're his representatives on earth. And refuge becomes our reward. Refuge from the coming storm. Refuge from wrath. Refuge from judgments and accusations. You see, the kingdom of God and those that are in it are greater than the greatest people in this world. The least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest in the world. I don't know about you, but I want to be in the kingdom. Amen? Band's going to come now. We're going to take communion. If you're a believer today, if you've asked Jesus into your heart and life, I'm going to give you a chance if you haven't done that yet. To do that. You know, it's just a simple little piece of wafer. <laughs> and all, it's just a symbol. Okay, it's a symbol of Christ's body which was broken for you and for me. sounds ridiculous that if I will but trust in God and turn myself toward God, he will accept me. Whoa, it's pretty hot right now. He will accept me where I'm at and he will change me. Isn't that a great gift that God wants to give us? Church, I'm going to tell you all of our rallying against God and rallying against others and pointing our fingers has to stop. You are the representatives of the kingdom of God. You represent the love and the life and the peace of God. The Bible says that my house shall be called a house of judgment for all nations. No, it doesn't. I misquoted that. Anybody get the real quote? What is it called? House of prayer. House of intercession. House of love. A house of forgiveness. A house of grace. A house of mercy. 
a house of healing, a house of peace. That's what God's house is called. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. So before we partake of this communion, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. You can now join the body of Christ. I don't know where every person's at in this room, but I remember when I was a young man, right? I was almost 20 years old, eight days before my 21st birthday. I came to a church service like this. This guy started preaching, and he literally pointed at me in the front row. My wife's already a Christian, so I can't point at her. But he said, young man, the Spirit of God is upon you, and the Spirit of God wants you to take up your anchor, and he wants you to follow him. He wants you to flow with him. And I said, man, okay, I'm in. I need God. I need God. I can't trust myself. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I need God's help in my life. And if that is you here today, I'm going to ask you to do something so bold, so courageous. If you're watching online, say, Pastor, that's me. I need to ask God to come into my life. I need to ask God to forgive me. If that is you here today, be bold and say, Pastor, I'm raising my hand to ask Christ to come into my life, to receive him for the forgiveness of my sins. I cannot stand on my own. I have to stand with God. Raise your hand up and wave at me. And you say, well, everybody's looking. Yeah, everybody's looking. If you can't hold your hand up when everybody's looking right now, man, you're not going to be holding your hand up when I'm telling where the pressure really starts to hit. So raise that hand up and say, Pastor, pray with me. Yes, I see your hand. Is there others that will join this one? And say, Pastor, I need, to, I need to get right with God. I remember when I had to raise my hand, it felt like the heaviest I ever felt in my life. And when I raised it, I felt the power of God come through me and take all the burden, all the sin, all the stuff, all the junk off my life. If that's you and you're watching online, raise your hand and say, God, I'm asking you to come into my life. If that's you here today, I'm going to give you one last chance. Right now, say, God, I receive you. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wave at God. Wave at me. Let me know you're doing that. Online, let us know that you made that decision today. Let's give these people a hand who made a decision for Jesus Christ today. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the only reason we exist. We exist for our non-members. The rest of you are already saved. You're already safe. You're going to heaven. I'll miss you if you go before me, but I'm going to keep on going because there's more that need to find their way home to God. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's partake of this broken body that was broken for you to become part of Christ's body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> come on now. Come on. Now this little drop of grape juice is highly symbolic of the blood that was shed for you, of the wrath that was poured out upon Jesus for you. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Aren't you glad that Jesus died for you? Aren't you glad that he paid the price that you didn't have to pay it your own? Aren't you glad? Let's partake together of this. I'm so blessed I got to have communion in two services. Man, I'm just like favored by God. Wow, wow, wow. You know what you got to do now? You got to stand up and you got to sing one more song. And we're going to sing this song and I want you to sing it. I want you to sing it with great love. I want you to sing it with passion. I want you to worship the living God. I want you to turn from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Let's sing this together. Come on now. Lead us, Pastor.
Hallelujah. Church, let's just sing this with thanksgiving to the Father. Amen. Then we're going to close in prayer in just a moment. Jesus died for you and for me. I want you to leave this place with your hearts and hands held high to the Lord. Say, God, make me a minister of reconciliation in this world that people can see the hope that is in you. Let's sing it one more time. Come on. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, pour out your spirit upon every person in this room right now, those watching online, Father God. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that they will go forward from this place as ministers of reconciliation, Lord God, ministers to bring the hope of the gospel to a world that is broken and desperate and lost and in dire need 
of a relationship with you. God, let them go forward in confidence. Let them go forward in peace. Let them go forward in power because of the presence of your Holy Spirit within them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in the grace and the power and the reconciling name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus Christ a hand clap. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. As you're leaving, all you're going to do, if you have time, I want you to come and I just want you to place your hand on the altar as a symbol of God, I give you my life. God, I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk with those who love you. And I want to help others to find you. So you can make your way out to get a coffee. You can make your way out to get whatever's out there. God bless you. Make sure you say hi to 55 people before you go. And just bless this. Say, God, I place my hand on the altar as a symbol of my life being placed on your altar. In Jesus' name. Let's sing these guys out of here. Amen? Come on.